may be seated. I share with you, um, uh, too, to be in prayer for Jessica Jenkins and uh, Cody. Uh, Jessica went to the hospital the other night on Thursday night, and she is uh, with child again, and so she was uh, uh, going and experienced a lot of bleeding, and uh, the baby is okay. Uh, The heartbeat is still there, but they put her on bed rest and stuff, and so if you would, be in prayer for Jessica Jenkins and be in prayer for Cody as well. I just really want to be lifting them up in prayer and asking for your hand in that as well. Wow, what's some verses here, man? There's some powerful verses here. Uh, One of the things that's so wonderful about this verse is verse 19, the blood of Jesus. Uh, You know, in our churches across America today and in a lot of hymnals today, they're trying to take out the blood of Christ, saying that it's unimportant, yet throughout the scriptures you see the blood of Jesus there. When I think about why I have faith, it's because Jesus shed his blood, amen? And I could not have faith had he not done what he had done and went to the cross at Calvary. And when you know Christ as your Savior, you should be filled with uh, what I would say to capacity with confidence. I have no doubt in my mind that Jesus Christ died for my sin. I have no doubt in my mind that if I were to drop dead right at this pulpit at this very moment that Christ uh, has a place for me in heaven because of what he accomplished on the cross. It is not what I've done, but the only only thing that happened is, is having faith in what he had already accomplished. And so it should cause great confidence because you're able to trust and believe and have hope in what? Well, eternal salvation. Eternal is forever. I, I, I uh, struggle with folks that say that you can lose your salvation or that it comes and it goes, and yet God calls it eternal. And, uh, and, and in many cases, if you go in, he not only tells us about the eternal salvation, he gives us the assurance of that salvation as well. And if you're saved, the Holy Spirit resides in us. He doesn't come and go. In fact, the word indwelling means that he's moved in. So if you're saved, you're saved. You don't have the Holy Spirit move in and move out and move in and move out. If he indwells you, that means that he's in you, that he exists inside of you. And this is a type of hope. It's an assured hope because of what Jesus did for us. And we're able to trust what he tells us. We're able to trust his word. And we should have complete confidence in him, in all that he's done for us. And so the message here is one of security. When I read this, I feel more secure as I read a passage like this uh, about what he did. And and, and it should bring security because of Christ and the path that he's put us on. So what is that path that he put us on? Well, before I could not enter into the holiest of holies. I could not enter in and speak to God. I didn't have that opportunity. Uh, I could not communicate with God in that fashion. And so when Christ died, and then we as, uh, as an individual trust Jesus Christ as Savior, he then provides us the Holy Spirit, and he gives us an opportunity to enter in to speak to God even. And And so he opened that, or he tore the veil, he took it away, and he opened that opportunity for us. So it's provided to us because of the work of Christ. You know, I keep preaching and talking about this revival for the purpose of the fact that it should encourage the saved. Uh, I'm trying to encourage all of you to be here for it because I believe it will encourage your hearts. If you can make it, uh, there should be no reason not to make it. But if you can make it, you ought to be here because it's going to encourage your heart. As a pastor, I have every responsibility and every right to provoke you to do what's right. And, and it's according to the scriptures, and I will and I am going to provoke people to be in the house of the Lord when the doors are open. And I'm going to provoke you and say, you need to be here. And you say, well, I have this, or I have that, or I have this. I want to tell you something. Let's make God a priority the 26th through the 29th. Amen? Let's just make him a priority. And then watch what God does in your heart 
Watch what he does for you. I'm not trying to provoke you to do something wrong. I'm trying to provoke you to good works, amen? I'm trying to provoke you to do something that will be very healthy for you, both physically and spiritually. And I'm telling you, when you're spiritually strong, physically, you start to feel better as well. And the thing of it is, is I want to provoke you to be here for this. So I'm preaching about this revival. Why? Because it encourages the save, and then it's bringing us back to life spiritually. And what does that do for us? Well, it gives us that opportunity as we are being filled with the Spirit and allowing God to really have control. It causes us to want to share it with others. It causes our witness to grow stronger and talk about what God's doing and how we can take that opportunity to do something. Now listen, I shared with you about Vacation Bible Time. Isn't it wonderful that we got Morgan and Tyresha and now Isaiah? Amen? Amen. Three people that otherwise we didn't have until we had Vacation Bible Time. So who is it that you love enough that you're willing to go to the ends of the earth to encourage them to be in this meeting that they might get saved and baptized. Amen? Are you with me? We ought to have that kind of faith, a full assurance of faith and hope as we go to uh, our God and expecting great things from our God. Now, as I share this with you, the full assurance of our faith should cause us to walk in confidence. And here's why. Knowing the truth of the Word of God, knowing the promises that God offers, listen, we are able to come to God believing that He is, and He's the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Now, I'm not talking about seeking Him for things that just uh, we consume upon our own lust. I'm talking about seeking Him for spiritual things. I'm talking about seeking Him for souls that are lost and seeking Him for God to add families to the church. I have a request as a pastor to you. Your pastor is asking you, how many of you would pray? I'm not talking about church transplants. I don't want church transplants, by the way. I don't want just people coming from one church and coming to ours. I don't want that. You know what I want to see? I want to see souls get saved, amen? I want to see God start to bring people to Calvary, not church transplants, but souls coming to Calvary, amen? Here's what I'm asking you to do between now and December. How many of you would pray? I'm not just talking about an individual. I'm talking that God would add five new families. You say, how? I can't see that. I know. Isn't that wonderful? Faith is the substance of hope for the evidence of things, not what? I can't see it. I cannot see that. But I have a God who is bigger than what I can see. Amen? And so I'm asking him. You say, well, how would that happen? Well, how did Jimmy and Cheryl Simpson get here? They moved from Wisconsin. How did we get them? God moved them here, amen? You say, well, isn't that a church transplant? No, they moved uh, from one state to another, amen? He's not going to run up to Wisconsin every weekend to go to church. He's got to have some place to go, amen? Now, he may want to, but he's thinking, man, that's a long way to go. Isn't it, brother? Yeah. You have to leave Friday every Friday to get there before Sunday, right? And so here's the thing. How many people can move from, say, the state of California? Because there's a lot of fires going on out there, right? It's like hell out there right now. So maybe they'll move to the East Coast and realize, hey, the worst we get, tornado once in a while, a lot of rain, right? And, and that's about as bad as it gets out here. Hey, listen, you don't know who God can move in. You don't know who they are. You can't even see a face, but God does. And he knows exactly what he wants to do. Now, here's the thing. We've got this prayer meeting that we're going to do. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they had assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak the word of God with what? Boldness. And so God can do that in our hearts. God can cause all of these things to happen. You know what he's looking for? 
Do I have a faithful people that are really willing to pray and seek me so I can demonstrate who I am? I'm not trying to demonstrate who pastor is or who Brother Dwight Smith is. We're nobody in the course of all this thing. But I serve a great God. Amen? And in the course of all of that, he can add to the church daily such as should be saved. God can do that. I can't. I can't build a church. Uh, you say, well, we can put a building up. Yeah, you can put a building up. That is not a church. A building is not a church. The church is who's sitting out here right now. Amen? You are the church. You're the living organism within the confines of these walls. Hey, how many of you are glad that Morgan got saved? Amen? In baptized. How many of you are glad that little Tyresha got saved in baptism? How many of you are glad that uh, Isaiah got saved? Amen? Do you know what that is? That's a people praying, believing that God can still work. Amen? You say, well, they're just little kids. Hey, listen, God can add little kids, he can add teenagers, and he can add adults, and he can add families. Amen? But we have to pray believing that God will do this. Now, I want us to approach this meeting with a full assurance of faith. That's why I keep talking about it. And I think everyone that's sitting in here ought to be here on the 26th through the 29th. Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It's not going to hurt us. Hey, listen, we'll go do anything for four or five days, amen? We'll go do our vacation like that. We'll go do anything for that number of days. But how many are just willing to say, you know what, I'm just going to commit this to God and let me see what God does. The full assurance of our faith should cause us to walk in confidence. So here's the challenge to us this morning. Do you have a wavering faith? Do you have a wavering faith? Or do you have a strong faith? Do you have a wavering faith or do you have a strong faith? Now, here's what God said in the book of James. He said, but let him ask in faith, nothing what? Wavering. Nothing wavering. Don't waver off of it. Do you believe people can get saved? Do you believe that during this meeting, God could add to the church daily such as should be saved? Do you believe that God wants Calvary to be in Minster, Ohio? Do you believe that? And so if so, let's do something about it. You say, what is that? I said, when they had prayed, (laughs) the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost (laughs) and spake the word of God with boldness. Don't be afraid. Hey, listen, I want to tell you something. The homosexual agenda is not afraid to speak their voice, are they? Uh, The leftist is not uh, afraid to speak their agenda. They're not afraid to tell you that they want us to spend $42 trillion so everything in the country is free. (laughs) They're not afraid to tell you that. They're not afraid to tell you where they stand on same-sex marriage and uh, uh, transgender bathrooms and all that kind of stuff. Do you know where we stand? We don't stand on all the nonsense. We stand on the truth. Amen? And so just consider what we're offering to people. Hey, listen, this is a hope of full assurance. And he says, for he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. And I know I've shared this illustration with you when I was little. I used to get little army boats and little army things, and I used to get in the tub. And when I would sit in the tub, I I would just hit the water like this, and I'd watch the boats do this. And I'd hit the water on the other side, and they would do this. And so whenever I hit the water, they would just go wherever. Do you know that's what he's talking about right here? He's talking about the kind of faith. He said, for he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, uh, 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 driven with the wind and tossed. He's saying, whatever directions it's going, that's just the direction I'm going. And God says, no, listen, stay stable. Stay in focus and stay on this full assurance of faith. And and when I look at this, we're to have strong confidence in our faith. For all the promises of the word of God, I promise you this, will be fulfilled. God's word will be fulfilled. It will not fail. 
And we can see it from time past to time present and yet future that we don't see. I promise you his words will be fulfilled. And when I look at this, our faith should be strong because we live by and count on the truth of the word of God. So our faith should be an unwavering faith. And I asked you, do you have a wavering faith or a strong faith? And to have strong faith, I think the first thing we have to look at here is we have to trust in our Savior's blood. Amen? Amen. What did he do? And if you say, well, I'm not sure whether I'm saved, I want you to get saved. Don't sit out there and be, I'm not sure. Be sure. He did what he said he was going to do. He shed his blood that we might have eternal life. And the word might is used there because it's up to us to trust him. That's it. We just have to trust him. And so the word might comes into play because of that, because he knows the human mind and he knows how we are and he knows how we doubt and he knows how we debate and he knows how we get off track. And yet he says our Savior's blood did a work for us. You know, our faith should be strong because of our assurance in Christ. <laughs> and I think about my assurance in Christ. Man, I, I'm telling you, I, I'm 53 now, and, and the only regret I really, really have in my life is I didn't get saved when I was young like these kids. That's my biggest regret. <laughs> I really wished I had gotten saved when I was younger, that I could have spent more years serving my God. And I mean really getting a hold of this stuff, you know what I mean? John Wynn used to say this all the time. He said, you know, he goes, I don't know how to explain this, but there are some people who just get saved. And he said, and I don't know how to explain this, but sometimes it just feels like some people get saved real good. <laughs> and he used to say that because there were people who really got saved and got a hold of truth, you know what I mean? I, I challenge you sometime. I'm not going to go there now. Go read Matthew 13 sometime. And just look at Jesus talking about the, the parable of the sower and how sometimes seed is, is sown and, and yet the devil come in and snatch it away. How seed is sown and, and some people let the cares of this world get in the way of their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and, and that the riches of this world get in the way. But man, there are some who end up being fruitful, right? Some 60, some 100 fold, Amen. And, and I believe that's what John was referring to. Uh, and my friend John Wynn, he, he would say that there are those that really get a hold of this thing and try to live for God. And then our faith in Christ, not just our assurance, our faith. We should not have a wavering faith. We should have a strong faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So why? Well, first of all, because of our Savior's blood, looking at verses 19 through 21. And he says, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us. He's given us a new way. Listen, there's no more need for sacrifice of animals. He made the sacrifice. So the blood of Jesus is so important. It is by his blood that we have access to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's our God we have access to. Let me give you some verses. You can just write these down. I'm not going to turn to all of these this morning. Listen to this. Ephesians 2.13. Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. You were afar off. You were away from God. You were astray. You were a sheep having gone astray. You were away from God. And God said, by the blood of Christ are you now drawn nigh. Are you close to him? He said in Colossians 1.20, and having made peace through the blood of his cross. 
by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And having made peace through the blood of his cross. And I want you to understand this. It's not just any cross. It's not the other two crosses that were hanging there with the thieves hanging on the cross. It was by his cross that he did this. Amen? It was the cross that he bore for us, and that's why we're going to go into this revival because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, because of the cross that he hung on, because of the eternal life that he offers to mankind, and it should stir us, and we should have full confidence that by the blood of Jesus Christ, souls are saved. Amen? Amen. That should stir our hearts. As I look at this, you're right there in Hebrews chapter 10. Turn to Hebrews 9 for a moment. I want you to look at two verses here. Look at two verses, verse 14 and 15. He says in chapter 9, verse 14, How much more shall the blood of Christ, you ought to underline that in your Bible, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal what? Inheritance. There's the, there's the words again. But how did it happen? Well, I look at the top. How much more shall the blood of Christ... Through the eternal spirit. Now listen, if you're saved, if you, if you know Christ is your Savior, the spirit of God is eternal as well. Amen? And so when he comes to indwell, that means that he's abiding in us. He doesn't come and go. You're either saved or you're not. And don't battle over this thing. Get saved. If you don't know Christ is your Savior, get saved. Amen? You say, well, I already told people this, and I've already said that. It makes no matter what you've told anybody. Listen, your soul is in the balance is what's really counting there, isn't it? And so we have to decide the embarrassment of man or the truth of God. <laughs> man, I want to stand on the truth of the Word of God. Amen? And when I look to the Scriptures, he says in 1 John 1, 7, but if you walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's singular, not plural. Sins are what we do because we're sinners, amen? Sin is what we possess when we're born. It is a nature that is already abiding in us by the fall of Adam in the Garden of Eden. We are born into sin, and that is the sin that Jesus Christ died for. Amen. That's why he shed his blood. And when we get saved, we're always singing the songs, only a sinner saved by what? Grace. We're still sinners, but thank God we're saved. Amen? Amen. And we can go to God is according to 1 John 1, 9, and we confess our sins now, plural, not singular. It's plural now because we no longer have that sin nature, but boy, we are still sinners, aren't we? And we need Christ to help us. The shed blood, the blood is so important for it opened the pathway. Man now has access to God. Man now has access to heaven. <laughs> we didn't have that before. And when I look at this, Christ is the new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil. That is to say, his flesh, his body was broken, his blood was shed, and the term consecrated is made holy enough to stand before God and stand in his presence. You know, it's amazing what happened that day. How many of you ever go back and really read the account of what happened that day? How many of you realize that the day that Christ died, there was a major earthquake? How many of you know that? How many of you know that the graves were opened up? 
How many of you know that bodies came up out of the grave? How many of you know that? How many of you know that the veil was rent from the top to the bottom? Hey, there was a lot of things happened that day. And I want to tell you, anybody that didn't believe should have started believing at that moment in time because what a great sign. And I believe heaven and hell were rocked that day because a sinless man died for the souls of men. And God rocked heaven and he rocked earth, didn't he? And he showed us that he is the Son of God. The high priest was not an earthly but a heavenly high priest. And he is really over the house of God. Listen, this doesn't belong to me and it doesn't belong to you. This belongs to God. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against this place. And one of the things is, is God is in control. Hallelujah, the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Amen. He's sitting on the throne. And when I look at this, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. Hey, let me tell you something. Something big happened that day, didn't it? And we didn't need a seismograph to tell us what happened. We know that God rocked heaven and earth that day. It was his son's blood that was shed. This new and living way is no longer necessary. Or is, is, is the, the new and living way is what is necessary now. It's us going and saying, you know what? The old way is no longer necessary. It's not, it's not important anymore. What was happening in Hebrews? Well, they want to go back and start sacrificing again. And whether Paul or Barnabas wrote this makes no matter, but I want to tell you this. God in his infinite wisdom knew that man would want to go back in their old ways. In fact, he even tells us that are saved, and he tells us in Peter, hey, listen, once we've escaped the pollutions of the world, why would we want to bother with going back into it? Are you with me? And he's telling the Hebrews here, why would you even bother going back into a sacrificial system? Why would you do that? And so the new and living way, it's no longer necessary to make these blood sacrifices. Jesus did it for us. Isn't it wonderful we have access to God? Amen. I'm talking about this prayer meeting, and, and I want to encourage all of you to be a part of it. But you come in here and you say, well, I don't have to go to church to pray. I'm going to show you some things in the scriptures that might just change your mind. Now, you're either going to believe God or you're going to believe yourself. But I'm going to show you some things in the Bible that teach us how important it is to assemble ourselves together and to pray. When people assemble themselves together in a group and pray, God's moved. And everybody says, I don't have to go to church to worship God. How many of you have heard that today? Anybody ever hear that? I don't have to go to church to worship God. Well, I want to show you where the Bible shows just contrary to that. It's important for us to come together and to worship God. Amen. And, and I want to show you some things that, that might help you in your faith. If you have your faith, it should be a strong faith. And you have access to God, but you've got to trust the blood of Jesus Christ to have that access. And so if you've trusted Christ, it's a wonderful thing. But then our faith to be strong and not wavering, we need to come together. We need to assemble together. We need to come together. And the Bible tells me I have a responsibility to provoke you to be here. <laughs> I have a responsibility to provoke you to be here. Now, there are a lot of people to try to provoke us to a lot of things, aren't there? But I'm to provoke you to love and to good works. <laughs> Do you know that means to poke you? That means to spur you on. That means to arouse you. And you say, well, just do it with your words. No, he's saying go and talk to them. Tell them what they're doing is wrong and tell them what is right. Amen. So God stirs the preacher, the pastor to stir you up and to bring you to the place where you should have confidence because of Christ. Our assurance in Christ is so important. Now we are told to draw close to God. Look at verse 22 in Hebrews chapter 10. 
He said, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now we're told to draw close to the Lord with great confidence because the need for the blood sacrifice is over. There's no need for it anymore. There's no more sacrifice. And as you look at this, God turns to the internal part of man, which you can't see, and he says, draw near to me, and he says it this way, with a sincere heart. How many of you in here right now are awake? Amen. How many of you really understand what a sincere heart is? How many in here have ever been so heartbroken you groan because of the pain? Hmm? Anybody in here ever have that? Me the only one? No one wants to admit it this morning? <laughs> have you ever been to the place where you just groaned in pain? I'm not talking about physical pain. I'm talking about a pain of the heart. And you groan. Because it's so great, you don't know how to overcome it. Do you know that kind of heart that groans out? That's a sincere heart. Would you agree? That's a heart that is just broken. You know what God says that he loves in the scriptures? A broken and contrite heart. Do you know what that means? It means to take it and smash it with a hammer. <laughs> to break it into pieces. That pleases the Lord. I want to ask you something this morning, and I want you to just really challenge your hearts this morning. How many of you are going to God with that kind of a heart, a sincere heart about lost souls, about family and friends and neighbors that are dying and on their way to hell, that you're so broken that your heart is smashed, that you're groaning inside, that you come to him with such a sincere heart and cry aloud unto your heavenly Father, do you know why? Because he's the only one that can answer it, isn't it? He say, ah, that's a little fanatical preacher. Well, I'm going to tell you, David was a fanatic. King Hezekiah was a fanatic. Isaiah was a fanatic. Jeremiah was a fanatic. Paul was a fanatic. Peter was a fanatic. I just want you to think about some of the fanatics that we would say today, right? John the Baptist was a fanatic. Jesus Christ himself. Oh, the king of fanatics, right? And the thing of it is, is when you think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying, and by the way, I believe the Lord's Prayer is actually found in John 17. Go read it sometime. I think there's a model prayer in Matthew chapter 6, but there is the Lord's Prayer in John 17. Go read it sometime. And I believe part of that prayer was taking place in that Garden of Gethsemane that day. And listen to the words that were used that day about our Savior. And when in agony, now think about the word for a moment, when in agony. How many of you have been in agony before? You've been so brokenhearted, when in agony, he prayed the more earnestly. <laughs> I want to tell you, your pastor's heart's in agony right now. My heart is in agony for Minster, Ohio, and Auglaize County and New Knoxville, and St. Mary's, and St. Marie, and St. Henry, and all of those, Maria Stein, whatever you want to give me. They're broken. And the reason is, is people are sucked into religion so deeply, and we need to pray diligently and go to God in agony, saying, Lord, tear down the strongholds that's keeping them back from Christ. 
religion is going to send more people to hell than we can imagine, folks. And that is our family, that is our friends, that is our neighbors, that is our coworkers. And don't be afraid to stand on the assurance of Christ. Amen. Amen? Let's think about this for just a moment. We've got this revival coming up, and you have an opportunity to invite people. We have really nice cards to give them and all that kind of stuff. But listen, without a sincere heart from us, I'm not sure what God's going to do. He's looking for people of a sincere faith, really humbling themselves before him. It is you coming to the Lord with all your thoughts, your emotions, your feelings, your confidence, knowing he is there to help you and to keep your heart in mind. Mark 12, 30 said, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Going to him in a spirit of love and in reverence, saying, God, I have a heart for this. A true heart is one that's genuine, having a similar meaning to the soul, but a focus on our thinking and our understanding. How many of you realize we fail more on our thinking and our understanding than any other times? It's not about being able to physically do it. It's what happens on the inside that keeps us from doing things. And what it is, is it may keep you from trusting Christ as Savior this morning. It may keep you from witnessing to someone today. It may keep you because, see, we think so much and we give so much over to, quote, intelligence that we forget the knowledge of God, the relationship that we have to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I look at this, understanding our faith, coming to God with strong confidence in knowing Him, that He is able to keep our thoughts in check to what is true, what is honest. And listen, He's able to even keep you from that which is evil. And He can control your thinking by you saying, let this mind be in me, which is also in what? Christ Jesus, and, and casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That ye put off the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust, and that ye be renewed in the spirit of your mind. It's a change of thinking, isn't it? This is the answer to having our thoughts be aspersed to removing the thinking that's wicked and instilling truth into the mind. By doing so, I think it will help keep our physical body pure as well. I believe by keeping my spiritual body pure, it helps me keep my physical body pure. Amen? Amen. When you keep your mind pure, when you keep your heart pure, I think it helps you keep your body pure. <laughs> it helps keep that outward man pure as well. And I, I love it because he didn't just talk about the internal here. He says, and, and having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. He's talking about that interior part, which you can't see, and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, I believe he's referring to the fact that the outward man gets cleansed by the fact that our inward man's changed. And it's a cleansing of the Spirit of God in our lives, outwardly. Pure, when I think about that, it's clean. You know, that inner man has to be clean. Uh, we have a, a well out there at the house, and, and uh, I buy that salt stuff to stick in there. And, you know, as long as it's working well, as long as there's salt in there, I, I don't think about it. You know, I, I, just, I just don't. But when I wake up in the morning and I get in the shower, and what is that? Smell. Something's not as pure as it should be, isn't it? You say, well, that's you in the shower. No, it wasn't me in the shower. <laughs> but I, I'm like, and then the water hits my mouth. And it, uh, taste the iron and the other, uh, right? 
And you know, I hurry and go get a bag of that salt and put it in there before she gets in the shower. Because I sure don't want her going, there's something wrong in this water again. <laughs> I'm just teasing. No, I'm not. <laughs> so, so, run down. I know, see? She, open the bag, put the salt in there, like, uh, I hope this all works out before she gets in there, right? But there's something about it. Once it goes through that salt, guess what happens? It comes out different, doesn't it? Give me your Bible for a minute. Oh, I'll drop your stuff there. I'll get it. This is our salt. Amen. This is the water. This water has to go through the salt to come out on the other side, being pure. You with me? You got to run your mind through this every day. And when it runs low, I promise you some impurities are going to start to show up, aren't they? It's going to start to show up in your life. When you don't run this through the salt daily, right? On the other side of that, some impurities are going to start coming out, aren't they? You need to run your mind through this book every day. Without it, impure things are going to start to crop up in your life. Amen. Some impure things are going to start showing up in your life and in your attitude, in your spirit, in your heart, in your, in your actions, places you go, things you do. It's just going to happen that way. And so what God wants to do is he wants to filter out some things and that salt filters out those impurities in my water which makes it drinkable, which makes it usable, which takes away that tainted taste and that flavor and all those kinds of things. And that is God running your mind through his word, changing your heart and keeping you clean. He takes you out on the other side and it keeps you from being tainted. As I thought about this, our assurance, our confidence... Paul combated the message of returning to this sacrificial system for only the Lord could cleanse the internal man by the power of the Holy Ghost residing in man. So our assurance of confidence is in Christ, not in self. So I asked you when I started, do you have a wavering faith or a strong faith? You see, a strong faith is going to say, I have assurance in Christ. I'm going to run my mind, my heart through this every day because I trust God that as I do that, God will help remove the impurities out of my life. I believe that. And then he not only tells us about that assurance of Christ, he talks about that faith. I want you to look at something here. And I know many of you have heard these verses preached many a time. But we're able to have assurance because of his promise. And when you look at verses 24 and 25, and he said, Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And I, I just want you, I'm not going to preach on this this week, but I want you to look at the very next verse after he says this, okay? And I just want you to look at the first phrase. Get a hold of this, because I want you to see the first phrase there. He said, do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is in verse 25. Look at the first phrase in verse 26. For if we sin, what is the word? Willfully. Willfully. He has not changed his thought. He's saying when you forsake the assembling of ourselves and if we sin willfully, if we choose to do that, there's no more sacrifice for sin. It's already been paid for. And so it is a willful choice to not be in the house of the Lord. It's a willful choice. Now, as I share that with you, 
When our faith is in Christ, it should keep us stable and not allow us to waver, to teeter back and forth in the world, out of the world, in the church, out of the church, out of the church, in the world, out of the world, back in the church, and just teetering back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Just wavering, tossed. It is always keeping in your memory an open expression of your commitment and his faithful commitment to you. Remembering who he is. What he's done. (laughs) Now listen, I love the people here. I really do. But I want you to know one thing. I don't come to church because of you folks. I come to church because I love the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. And I love you folks. And I want to be a help to every person in here. But I don't come to church because of you. I come to church because I, one, know it's the right thing to do. And number two, I want to please my Heavenly Father. And I know what's right. And whether I'd be standing here or sitting there, I would be in church. And the reason is, is because he talks about sinning willfully. That's a willful choice to not be assembling yourselves together, as the manner of some is. And he says this, and it's, it's, it's important for us to understand the faithfulness of God. Let me give you some verses, and I'll be done this morning. You might just want to write these down. Let me share these with you, and I'll, I'll go quickly here. 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful. Isn't that wonderful? 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God is faithful. I'm not. God is faithful. He tells us in 1 Corinthians 10.13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common, common to man. But God is faithful. Even in temptation, God is faithful. Amen? In our temptations, God is faithful. He tells us in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful. Amen? Amen. He's faithful to forgive us our sins. He's faithful. I'm not. And I say, you know, not only did that happen in the New Testament, it happened in the Old Testament. You imagine Joshua and Moses goes off the scene. And here's Joshua, and here's what he says in Joshua 21, 45. There failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel. All came to pass. Amen? That's faithful God, isn't it? Everything God said that he would do, he did it. It all came to pass. He tells us then in Joshua 23, 14, And behold, this day I am coming the way of the earth, and ye know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass unto you, and not one thing hath failed hereof. Not one thing that God says, not one thing that God does, not one thing, action that God takes, will fail. (laughs) Not one thing that's already happened, is happening, or is going to happen, it will not fail because it's of God. 1 Kings 8.56, Blessed blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people Israel according to all that he promised. There hath not failed one word of all his good promises which he promised. God's promises do not fail. His word will not fail. And so when you read the Bible, look at me for just a minute. Just hang in there for just a second. I want you to understand when you forsake the assembling of yourselves, you are sinning willfully. And listen, God says in his word, there is a sacrifice that you are making. You're sacrificing your fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. You're sacrificing your fellowship with God. And you cannot be the Christian that you could be if you were to allow God to really start working in your life again. When you decide, I'm not going, I'm not going to be there, and you don't have a reason, 
I just don't feel like going. And by the way, we have Sunday school, Sunday morning, and Sunday night, and Wednesday night services. And I want to tell you, any job you have is not more important than Christ Jesus. <laughs> Anything that you do for a living is not more important than Christ Jesus. Any family function that you have is not more important. Let me, let me ask you a question. Let me, let me get real with this for just a second. <laughs> My family came into town this morning, and I decided I'm not coming. Well, you're the preacher. That's okay. Somebody else can do it. Somebody else can do it. Let's we'll get Brother Bill to do it. How many times do you think I can get away with that? Once, maybe, Chris. Maybe twice. I don't have to be there. Somebody else can do it. It's unimportant for me to be present in the house of God. What kind of preacher's that? Once, Jim. Maybe twice. My son has a baseball game on Sunday afternoon. I got to go. I'm going to go to the baseball game. Being in the house of the Lord is not important. How many times would I get away with that? Once, maybe twice. What would the church think of their pastor if he did that? Go ahead, you can be honest. I'm being open with you right now. How many times could I do that before you'd say, see you later? But it's okay if I sit out here and listen to that man up there I got stuff. I got stuff. I don't have to be here. You say, preacher, we're all here this morning. Why are you preaching to us? Because I want you to start stirring up other people to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. It's important for us to assemble together. It's important for us to be together. It's important for us to love God enough to provoke others to love and good works. Isn't that what it says? So if I don't do it, I'm failing you. Just like if I would teach you, ah, don't worry about tithing, ain't no big deal. How many of you agree with that? Hmm? It's not. You have to tithe because it's a commitment between you and God, isn't it? And he says, when you don't, you're robbing God. That turns you into a thief. <laughs> and, and, and there's all kinds of things that we have to really take into consideration. Mostly this. He said, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. And we're to exhort one another so much the more as we see the day approaching. You know what that day is? The coming of the Lord. <laughs> and I share with you, man, I'd rather be in here than I would to be with a remote in my hand watching Duck Dynasty on a Sunday afternoon when I should be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Because one day, every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess of things in heaven and of things in earth and of things under the earth to Jesus Christ as Lord, to the glory of God. Amen? Amen. He say, what difference does it make then? Why sin willfully? <laughs> Why do that? Why forsake being together? Let me share this last thought. As you hold your profession of faith, you ought to hold on strongly because it's in Christ and not in us. The word provoke... He tells us 
to contend, spur on. The subject is love and good works, encouraging people to do what's right. I'm not in here encouraging you to go to the bar with me and to have a beer. I'm not in here encouraging you to go do drugs with me or to go watch pornography. I'm not encouraging you to be a pedophile or encouraging you to walk in homosexuality or agree with same-sex marriage. I'm not trying to provoke you to do the things of the world and the ways of the world and the actions of the world. I'm trying to provoke you to love the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm trying to provoke you to trust him, have faith in him, witness for him, and do everything you can to encourage others to do the same. When I come to this, there's nothing wrong with believers stirring up or arousing others to serve the Lord. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. And I believe a wavering faith is what will cause us not to contend, not to share it with people. That's a wavering faith. I want to tell you this morning, I believe God. (laughs) I believe his word. I believe it's true. I believe this revival can be an amazing time at Calvary Chapel Baptist Church. But I believe that it's going to come through people that are going to run this through this so that on the other side, a lot more impurities are taken out of the way. And that we'll have a strong and unwavering faith for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed.